Why, hello, and welcome to our G&D Talk. On behalf of G and I, we'd like to wish you a happy new year. And with the new year, new faces. Check us out at artgndtalk.com. And thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Things in life are made. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on last gristle, don't grumble. Give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Come on! Always look on the right side of life. Welcome to Art Talk. Tonight, I'm with my very good friend, confidant, artist, Gregory. Gregory, how are you? I'm good. I'm your good little confidant. <laughs> we're, we're at, um, we're, we're still on season three when, uh, we're, we're, on, we're on episode three. What's going on? What's going on in Gregory's world? Um, not much. I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different projects with, uh, one of which is with our buddy Ryan Oldman. Mm. What are you guys working on? Secret stuff you couldn't know about and you couldn't handle. I can't, I can't handle the truth. That's the problem. I know. And then other than that, just you and I are actually working on a collaboration with drawings and clay. Do I know about this? That you haven't seen anything. I don't know about this, do I? Well, you, you sent me a, a black notebook full of these really awesome... Uh, drawings that you did like within like a few months uh-huh. and I and I selected a bunch of them that I liked and have been sort of reproducing oh, them cool. into different yeah, ceramic I, I pieces I that black book back now. you can have it I can I can send it back I'm, I'm all set with it I, I got everything there was only a few things that were actually good the rest is just crap <laughs> so I can send that back <laughs> that's whenever the thing. I don't produce shit like <laughs> that's each what you, page you say that like a cream puff David, as much as I love talking to you right now, we actually, I came through. Yes, you did. As, as I always do. I basically do everything. And I came through and I got us a, a VIP did. guest. You did. Uh, and this, this is awesome. It's like the threes. Yeah. I, love, I, I think there's something significant about threes. With season three, episode three, and the three of us being able to talk tonight. Gregory? <laughs> Gregory, tonight. We have we spit have, it out. Spit it out. Listen, I'm not. I'm not getting. I'm not going to blow it. So you just say it. I'm not going to blow it. This dear friend of ours is a writer. I'm going. I'm not going to mess it up, David. I swear to God. Go ahead. Because our guest tonight is a writer. It's Sarah McChesney. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. It it's Sarah is. McChesney. It is. But let me give you the lowdown. Because this is impressive. She's a writer, improv actor, living in Los Angeles. Listen to this, Gregory, some of her attributes. A puppeteer 
with the Jim Henson Company, Puppet Up. Oh, I didn't know that. She's an alumnus. I didn't know about that With the Upright Citizen Brigade. That's impressive. I like that. Sarah enjoys and loves and focusing on science fiction writing, horror, and is passionate about creating roles for intellectual, funny, and adventurous women. And, Gregory, her absurd sense of humor came from her dual United Kingdom and United States upbringing in Pittsburgh. And Gregory, I... I, I always found her very cheeky. It's <laughs> ridiculous. She did. She always made me laugh. And tonight, we have that laughter here with Sarah. Sarah, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> but welcome, welcome. What are you doing with yourself? What, what are you doing out... In, besides what I said, what are you doing out in L.A.? I mean, that is basically what I'm doing. I mean, I'm mostly writing. I did years and years and years of performing that were sort of, um, it's a lot of that is, is actually honing writing skills, believe it or not, when it comes to improv. Correct. Yeah. yeah so, so I did a lot of performing and then sort of started to funnel more into writing. And that's what I've been focused on primarily the last, the last, I would say, like five years that I've been Excellent. here. Let me ask you, with yeah. um, the acting, would you find roles that were cheeky or like humorous or you know were you seeking out or was it just like kind of gobble up whatever comes your way the week i arrived in la i started at the groundlings which is like a sort of like a an institution for improv and sketch comedy and so what that means is for your question is that when it came to sketch comedy i was writing my own roles and when it came to improv i would you know, performing characters that suited the moment. So, yes, they were usually quite cheeky. Fabulous. When you when you start something like the Groundlings or the Upright Citizens Brigade, is that mm-hmm. pretty intimidating on the first first couple days? You know, it probably should be, but I didn't know anything. Oh, that's a good so way I to go in. So I I should be intimidated, honestly. That's like the best I, way to go in. Yes, yeah, completely blind. I had no idea. All I knew was that because um, this is this. So this is what two thousand two. And so you weren't aware. You and weren't so, aware of who who they were. You weren't aware of like no, how big I, it I was. I truly wasn't. It was something where I just kept seeing their name pop up when I would read about people who I happened to sort of like think we're funny yeah. or we're interesting. I would say, oh, this says they were the groundlings. What is that? And then I'd read about it. Oh, it's like a school you can go to for for improv and sketch. Oh, well, that sounds, I want to try that, you know? And so not knowing what it actually <laughs> was this sort of juggernaut. And when when I came out here, it was the only thing that really had any clout. Yeah. Nothing else yet. UC, UCB wasn't in LA yet. It really was all about the groundlings. And so luckily for me, when I, when I first started the the classes, I just, it was like a duck to water. It was sort of like, where has this been my entire oh, life? Wow. This is amazing. I love this so much. Yeah. And then that was it. And then it did get a little, you have to sort of audition your way through every single level. Yeah. So, so you can get cut like at any time. But it took six years to go through them because there are these huge waiting lists and in the middle of and while you're waiting for that you're doing other things you're doing other classes you're doing other workshops you're doing uh performing things like that so my philosophy was kind of like well i'll do this until they kick me out we'll see what happens (laughs) nice and then they never did so i I guess they worked for me uh they, they finally did. At the, at the very end, I got cut at the very, very, very last, like before you kind of go into 
uh, main company. And then it comes down to like a bit, a bit of politics and a bit of like, who do they have already? And are you like any of them? Oh. That's actually what ended up getting me into at Hens to Jim Henson because I got cut from the groundlings at the very end. Um, I ended up getting recruited for Puppet Up, so it all worked out. Nice Puppet Animation. So how was that being part of that company? It was incredible because you know what they did. This is this is what was really fascinating was they were looking for um, first first and foremost women like women improvisers because my industry like a lot of industries are very male dominated and so especially comedy in puppeteering too and so what they were looking for was women who had a very strong very specific improv background and also you had to be tall because it's state you're on a stage and you have to be as be able to puppeteer with the men who are some of them are like six foot four. Oh my god so, oh wow okay Puppet Up is a stage, it's a live stage show. And so there's cameras that are pointed at the puppeteers and the puppets. And then there are monitors that are on either side of the stage. And so on the monitors, the cameras broadcast just the puppets. But if you're in the audience, you can see the puppeteers too. So that's part of the show is you're watching both. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. How long did you do that for? Um, let's see, I think I started training because training took years because it's Henson level puppeteering, which was crazy. I want to say I started training in 2000 and actually maybe it was 2000. Yeah, I think it was 2011 or 2012. And then there was a couple years, a few years of just very intense training. And at the same time, still doing my improv because your improv skills have to be up to snuff. Have you have you done any writing for uh, puppetry type of things or? Or is that sort of part of your life sort of done now? No, I actually did. I got um, a series called Catch Up With The Hot Dogs, which was very short-lived. And it's a YouTube series that it was Jim Henson Studios in conjunction with um, The Nerdist. Okay. And they were doing, they, their idea was to do like the, the hot dog puppets that are very popular in the show because they're hot dogs. They're funny looking little wieners. <laughs> and the idea was to... Um, have them give you like the recap of the season before. So I was assigned to do The Walking Dead and <laughs> True Blood. So, so I wrote those and, and, and they, they, went, uh, they went up, but they only did one season of those. They didn't actually go any further. But that was it. But right, I tell you, writing for puppets was really interesting. It was like different because I knew that they were going to be making props and costumes for them. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. What, uh, what was the gig that you had um, with HBO and is that still something that's going on? So what happened was in 2015, I was named a writing fellow at HBO for as part of their diversity program. And they are one of the only networks and studios that considers. They wanted they wanted someone from Pittsburgh. They were like, that's diverse. We need we, we need, need someone from Pittsburgh. Let's get a Yinzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. They were actually one of the, the first ones that um, that opened it to women, which is so crazy because none of the other studios and networks have, uh, consider women part of diversity. Yeah. Because you know we're we're everywhere. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so that 
so that's how that happened. Uh, so I was named a fellow for for my writing, which is like uh, comedic writing, really that is very feminist driven. And then from that, they chose to shoot my script and make it a sort of like a pilot presentation slash slash short, which premiered here in LA just this past December. Congrats. Thank you. Wow. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, Sarah, well, Sarah, my, my question for you is, what prepared you more for the role that you're in? Moving out to L.A. and living there or growing up in Pittsburgh? With parents, what well, parents, what mo mother? My mom's English. Okay. My dad is from Pittsburgh. My dad grew up in Etna. Her mom, her mom, David. She, she's very, very English, still is, very English. Yeah, so, I mean, my dad, so my dad is has a huge the mcchesney side is like a huge huge typical sort of pittsburgh irish catholic yes, massive yes. family you know how <laughs> yes. that goes and then and then there's my mom and her english family who you know are in all over the globe <laughs> so they're still my parents are still in pittsburgh yeah the truth like truthfully uh, this this is going to sound almost reductive but the every single sort of part of my life is what prepared me for mm -hmm. this and even all especially actually not even but especially all of the things i tried tried and failed at whether that was in england whether that was in pittsburgh or whether that was in la but the thing is the thing that i broke through with with hbo was actually a script that's based in pittsburgh and it's about a woman in pittsburgh nice yeah is there any place where we can see this no, there will be. It's going to actually premiere on HBO, like all of their digital platforms, like HBO Go, HBO yeah. Now. Oh, okay. All of those. I just don't know when. It should be soon. That's interesting, Sarah. That um, so you specifically wrote about Pittsburgh and it started. So it started as a sketch. I had written it as a sketch where what um I needed. I wanted to write. So Groundlings is very character driven. Very character. It's all about character, character, character. So I was trying to think of like a new interesting character that I wanted to write about, and I was thinking about in Pittsburgh how I knew so many women in Pittsburgh who were these sort of like kind of like tough yinzer type women they always had like the big like hairsprayed hair and they had like acid wash jeans and the Steelers coat and the white tennis shoes right like and then Gregory grew up I know right? <laughs> he, he blossomed he blossomed and continue I'm sorry <laughs> but I, I would see so many of these women and they were always like they were kind of tough but they were also somehow very feminine within that toughness. And they always seem to have like boyfriends or lovers or ex-husbands. And I was like, who are these women? Like they're so, like how, what? Like I could barely get a date most of the time. And I'm like, these women are like, they've got like a line out the door. I don't understand. Oh my God, so amazing. it was kind of like that fascination with those women that I was like, I have to write about a woman like this. Yeah, so the, okay, that answers perfectly because you're utilizing your upbringings to writings that are present. Did you ever try the big hair? I did for the, when I performed the sketch, I actually had um, an amazing wig that was like a huge big hair wig. And oh, I that's awesome. Wow. That's awesome. Where did you perform that at then? Uh, it was in LA. It was uh, at, a, at the one of the theaters in LA. And it was, there was actually it, a big, the character herself was a big hit. And people kept coming up to me and saying like, oh, her name's Linda. They're like, we love Linda. And the name of the sketch was Lady Bouncer because she was a bouncer at a dive bar. <laughs> and they were like, we love Linda. We love the Lady Bouncer. Like, she's awesome. 
And they were both men and women who kept saying this. And I was like, it's so interesting, like the response I was getting to this character. So I thought I need to do something with her. And that's when I decided to develop her into a full pilot and wrote, gave her this job where she was a police, a police woman who was put on suspension and had to take a job as a bouncer. And that's kind of how that all sort of fell into place after that. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I found a place to call my own A place where all good sinners can get stoned I'll keep my holy vision You keep your stupid pride You said I couldn't make it on my own But I'm not dead Kind of our underlining theme too, Sarah, is that um, all things kind of relate back to Pittsburgh. And I'm just wondering, like those people that saw your show, they could relate. Because I mean, there's like, you know, Steeler Nation is all over. You know, there's there's Steeler fans all over the place. But you can always relate to something to Pittsburgh. And and if those those fans of yours saw that character and like, oh, I can relate to that because Pittsburgh's it, it's such a great place. And it, you just you can pull so many facets and and nuances out of it and take it somewhere else and it's relatable i'll tell you what's funny too is like being from pittsburgh and then like so when i would go on set little things i would see that i was like no that's that's wrong like that's not what it would that's not pittsburgh so like i'll give you a small example (laughs) that is in the and these are in the final these things are in the final cut but there was one um there's a she's in a steeler bar obviously because every bar in pittsburgh is a steeler bar right and she's getting she's getting a drink and there's a sign that they made that the set dressers made and it says Steelers fans welcome and I'm like looking at this sign and I'm like first of all obviously they're welcome it's Pittsburgh (laughs) (laughs) like you just wouldn't have a sign like that and second of all it said Steelers with an s like Steelers fans I'm like no it would say Steeler fans like but they wouldn't know that right however I what my argument was when anyone in Pittsburgh sees this, they're going to be like, oh, no, uh-uh, mm-mm. <laughs> not believable. No, not believable. Not authentic. That ain't authentic in that. No, mm-mm. So there's a lot of little things like that that I noticed as someone from Pittsburgh. But to keep it really authentic, you know, hopefully it gets picked up and we get to reshoot it and I can change those little things. So for for the thing that you already shot, did you you wrote it, but did you also star in it at all? No, I didn't, I actually didn't want to because I felt like there was probably someone who could bring that character to life on a level that I couldn't. Yeah. And we did, we found this amazing woman who, you guys are gonna love this. First of all, I walk in, it's like, um, it was casting day and I walk in the room and the room is filled with LA actors and actresses, right? Like very good looking, very, all the women are like tiny, skinny little, things and the men are all like really good looking and then i see this woman sitting at the table and i'm like oh my god she looks normal that's linda that's my character like that's her i know that's her like it has to be her i was like oh that's so cool so she does the reading and i thought she was great and then afterwards she came up to me and she's like 
she goes, so, um, she's like, hey, you know, my name's Blair. Like, I love this role. Thank you so much. Like, this is so great, whatever. And then she said, so are you from Pittsburgh? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. She goes, yeah, I figured, I figured you were because of all this, all this stuff in here. She goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was like, wait, that's what, what I'm talking about. And it gets yes. crazier. Cause then I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. You're from Pittsburgh. What a weird coincidence. And she's like, yeah, I was like, where in Pittsburgh? And I'm expecting to hear the South Hills because for some reason, like everyone hears from the South Hills if they're from Pittsburgh. And she goes, Sarah, oh, I, um, I feel like that's a little racist. It's well, it's Pittsburgh racist. <laughs> Those South Hills Yinzers are everywhere. But she's like, she goes, um, oh, like I went to school um, near a place called Fox Chapel. Oh my and gosh. I like, and I go, wait, I was like, I went to Hampton. And she goes, I went to Hampton. <laughs> what? I'm in Pittsburgh And now I can't get out of town I'm not there I, I have a question that would lead into the artability of before you were stating that you kind of gave birth to your script. <laughs> yeah. And Gregor and I can relate to that because the work that we do, we're giving birth. We're putting in something that's ours into... A piece mm -hmm. and it's no different than with writing it you're putting a piece of yourself in there and it's very painful a lot of the time as in as in like physically painful to sit there and be like oh my god <laughs> so that's what i wanted to ask was like how do you feel about letting it go then being able to let someone else do the script or for gregory and i just like even selling a piece that we yeah. put something into i feel I was lucky in the sense that it was HBO and I trusted HBO. So giving it over wasn't, I, tr they're so create, they're so creator friendly. You know, I've worked in this business a long time and I've never really been in a place where when they give notes, they always sort of go, but you know, you're the writer, you do what you want to do. And it's like, really? <laughs> like, okay. Oh, that just doesn't okay. happen very often. Right. So for that, I was, I was actually, I felt like it was right. It was difficult, though, in that the project that will air, the, the version that you'll see when you see it on the digital platform, um, it was directed by one of the directors who was selected for the HBO Directors Fellowship. So what that meant was they had a little bit of their own. I didn't have as much control over it as I would like. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. So I, I didn't have as much control as I would if HBO just bought it outright and said, we want to make this, then I would have had more control over it. So that part was difficult. That was hard to sort of know, figuring out like what, when could I sort of say something and when couldn't I, you know, where was that balance and having to let go of the things that I, that aren't perfect. So that's very difficult. Things that I would love to change and just be happy with the fact that this was done, this was made. And right. that right. is incredible that that happened. I think with what you do, your your line of work is definitely you have to be pretty comfortable with uh, the realization of collaboration is going to happen. Like you, you don't get to do every part of things. Like you have to hand it over yeah. to. to and I don't want to. But you have to hand it over to the actor. You have to hand it over to the director. You have to hand it over to the lighting. You have to hand it over to everyone, and that's got to be difficult. There's a couple of things that I. I, I have going for me in the fact that, A, I am actually, even though I'm a writer, which is a very sort of 
sole thing to do. I am actually very collaborative because of my, I think my improv background in part. And so I know that something can be made better by other people. Like I can give you the best thing I can give you. And then I know that with other input, it can actually, there's parts that can be made better. And so because of that, I actually have no, no problem with giving it to people that I trust. Right. So Sarah, I know these sort of terms because I'm sort of, Unlike Dave, I'm sort of in the industry as well because I was an extra on one of Steve Burns' shows uh, oh, then you know. for one yeah. episode. So I know the whole – I know basically the whole biz. You and, know how it goes. And the whole time they were doing like rewrites and stuff and I would peek over their shoulders and sort of – Like you're doing it wrong. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I, you know, just sort of give them a nod when they go, they're going in the right direction. I'd give them, the, <laughs> give them an attaboy and that sort of thing. Uh, no, what would you, what would you say as as some of the most sort of impressive TV shows that are around, you know, in the past? Like, what what's some of your like actual favorites? Like, what's your top three, let's say, comedy? Well, I am that sort of that typical comedy writer who doesn't like comedy. Wow, how does that happen? Just in the sense that. Uh, I, I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I don't watch it that much because it's like work for me. But that being said, what I do love, because I find they have great comedic elements, are shows like Fargo, um, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Those sort of very dark, really great dramatic shows, but they're also funny. I love things like that when it comes to comedy. Uh, I also watch a lot of – when it comes to straight comedy, I'm, I'm more likely to watch like a British comedy than I am an American comedy. Let's hear some of the British ones. There is one I love that I'm, that I'm watching now. I started it last year and then I, I couldn't finish it and I picked it back up. It's called Hunderby. I haven't heard of that. It, it is like this ridiculous comedy about like it's sort of like this neo-gothic yeah. but a very exaggerated take on it very british very silly they for like american shows though like i do love silicon valley oh yeah okay um and i that's a great one and veep even you know more more the first few seasons of veep i didn't love the last season but i also i just watched this little youtube documentary uh thing on the making of um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where where they sort of started mm-hmm. it and filmed it themselves, and the original, you know, it was all the same three guys that were in it, and they were just actors in L.A. That was the background; they weren't like bar owners. But right. from where they took it to just filming it themselves to where they are now, I, I I've always it's been crazy. Isn't I'm it? very impressed with with the stuff that they they come up with. Well, I think it's that it's that lesson of like if you have to do it, don't just talk about it, do it. Yeah. I read a really interesting article the other day. I post, actually had shared it on Facebook, but I'm sure you guys would probably identify with this, which was the article was called like "Why Writers Procrastinate," but it was which is why I read it because I was procrastinating. And but it was really about anybody. It wasn't just about writers, but it was especially about I think creative folks. And the point of it was. When is the fear of not turning something in greater than the fear of failing? And I thought that was really interesting because I thought like, mm. oh my God, that makes sense. Like, yeah. that, I get that because that's what it is for me. My deadlines loom and they come up, they come up and I, you know, and I've been, you know, messing around and procrastinating. And then suddenly it's like, oh shit, like I told them, <laughs> my, you know, my, my, my agents are waiting for this. I got to turn this in now. 
and then like, like writing a mile a minute because that to me is more important than not actually doing it. I think it resonates with so many different people on yeah. procrastination and how it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's both. It really, I think it exists as both. And I, that they, one of the things I talked about in this article was that, especially if you're again, like a writer or a creative person, a lot of these things came easily for us when we were younger. And so I know like for me, I was, I was really good at English. I never studied. I never tried and I just got A's, right? I never had to try. And then I come out into this world and suddenly it's really hard because there's right, a lot of right. people who are exactly the same. Yeah. Who who were all good at English and didn't try and all got A's. So now how do I set myself apart from them? And so I think that that has a lot to do with it and the struggle of like when it's that, Dave, you were mentioning like about giving birth and it's like right. when making something is that, it feels so difficult and it feels so hard and it feels every, for me, it's like, you know, every word I write is a failure. And then I'm done and I read it and I'm like, oh, actually, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> like, actually, that actually this is pretty good. And then, unfortunately, I think what I've been coming to accept is that it's the nature of, I think, being a creative person and who is who is making a living at it, too. That's the other thing. I'm not able to go, oh, it's just a hobby. No, <laughs> this is how I'm living. Right. And now with kind of your new direction and having full control within your fiction and horror writing, like how is that different from a script to writing full books? It, it's a funny thing. It's in this industry of mine, you're only allowed to kind of be one thing sometimes. You get pigeonholed in. Yeah, you do. And so for me, it's being a comedy writer and it's like, I am known for being a funny writer who happens to be a woman who also writes about those types of women myself. And that's great mm -hmm. because I, that, that is very important to me and that is, that is actually uh, a huge part of, of who I am. But I also write, like you said, sci-fi and horror. And right now I am not allowed to essentially, for lack of a better word, allowed to sort of... Um, explore that professionally i have to wait oh what that means is that you know all of this takes time so my focus right now is primarily on comedy but i still have these other things that sort of sit to the side that i work on when i can or i've also found workarounds and and this is this was a lesson i learned recently which was i was pitching to my managers they they wanted me to pitch them what they wanted me to do was write a romantic comedy, a movie. And I'm like, I am the last person that you want to write. I hate those movies with a passion. Like I am the wrong person. And of course their response is no, that's why we want you to write them. Cause you'll be different. Wait, even Bridget, Fine, even, so even Bridget know. Jones. I will, I will give you, there's a couple that I, when I've been forced to watch them, I go, fine. It's not that terrible, but most of them I find. I find insulting. I find them insulting, quite honestly. Um, I, I usually take Gregory... <laughs> I'm already laughing. <laughs> ...to the movie theaters to watch those. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what I found was when I went back, when I went back to them and I pitched them things that I was not excited about, finally pitched them my very last thing. And I was like, okay, guys, this idea is really weird. And they're like, all right, what is it? And I pitched them this like sci-fi comedy 
And their response was, we love it. Always bring us your weirdest ideas. Nice. And I was like, Excellent. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a, but that was a good lesson. Here I am being sort of, you know, worried about, oh, they're going to think this is so weird. And I, here I am like this girl who writes sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, well, here's a way to do it. Well, is that just part of our our generation or our, our upbringing, like to diversify? Because like it's like it's it's kind of the same with if you're going to be in the arts, you have to focus specifically on ceramics. You have to specifically focus on painting. Mm. Uh, and like when you come when you come about and say, okay, I'm a mixed media artist, it's like what does that mean? <laughs> and it's basically diversifying. And people just want the straight avenue yeah. of what you are, or they or they think like, well, you're just not good at any one thing. Correct, you're a jack of all traits, but uh, you know, master of none. I also think it comes down to people are comfortable; they're comfortable viewing people within certain parameters, and they're not comfortable, I think, with things maybe that are unfamiliar and they don't understand. Wow, and that's what we grasp for. That's like that's what we yeah. as as creative individuals we reach for. We both embrace the idea, and then whatever the whatever medium we use to to convey that. Well, I think that's the key. I think we do feel we're, we always feel like we're being put in a box. No, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. The thing is, is no one can actually stop you. Yeah. Right. Like, who's gonna right. actually say no? Nobody get out of the theater. Nobody puts like, Greggy no. in the corner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Do you know the show The Nick um, on Showtime? I think it was Showtime. It was about, it was Clive Owen, and it was about, it was in Victorian times, it was about surgeons. Oh, it's a fantastic, it's a really good show, you guys should check it out if you see it, but the, the writer for that... We'll put that up on top he, notes, he yeah. came into um He came into HBO one day, and he was talking about how he was, he'd been pigeonholed, he was writing terrible, terrible kids' comedies, like you know, Benji 400, basically. Well, that sounds like a robot dog, I, but you know what I mean? I would watch like, that. I would totally watch that. I'd watch Benji 400 too, actually. Who am I kidding? Sarah, start working was, on that tonight, please. But he was writing like all these, you know, really bad kids comedies and stuff. And he'd had this idea to write this show about Victorian uh, surgery during Victorian times, because that was the time that everything was, was new and being explored and the ways they had to learn were terrible you know, by like operating on, on live people and stuff. And so he had this idea and he didn't tell his agents because he knew if he told his agents, they'd say, no, you can't do that. We can't sell that. You're a kid's writer. And so he sat down and he wrote it with his writing partner, I believe. And the next thing, somehow it got into the hands of Steven Soderbergh. Mm. And Steven Soderbergh was like, this is amazing. I'm making this. Well, Sarah, like a legit question is what would like like the egg or the chicken? <laughs> it's the chicken. Stick, no, stick with me. It's gotta stick be the me. chicken. What comes first, a plot or title? <laughs> or can it go in reverse? Well, it's. I will tell you for for writers who can be a little hacky, it would be the title. Excellent. Okay. Because they can, you can sell a pitch on a title almost alone. What what would be your preferred plot or title? Oh, well, actually, character. Character. Okay, Neither. character. Yeah, character. I think character is more important than both, actually. The title. Character more, is more important than plot and title. Okay. Because if you don't have a character, who gives a shit? Like Benji 4000. Like, who cares what... <laughs> You're right. Benji 4000, you would watch him, like, make pancakes in the morning. It doesn't matter. You don't need a plot. 
He's Benji 4000. Everybody's talking about my tight pants. I got my tight pants. I got my tight pants on. Everybody's looking at my tight pants. I got my tight pants. I got my tight pants on. All right, so we have a question for you, and it has to do with one of our last... One of our special guests that we had. She, one of our special guests, Heidi Skinner, she's a designer by, by trade. She's an artist, a very amazing designer. And she's also, she lived in L.A. for a little bit, and she did a bunch of stuff with doing improv and that sort of thing. All right. So we asked her about what she thought of the new Tonight Show and Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> and she had very positive things to say, and she had really good reasons to say it. Now, I know from reading some of your stuff that you are less than impressed with Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. So oh, Facebook we, comes back to haunt me. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I have to admit, she did an amazing job of defending and coming up with reasons. She did a great job. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we may end this season with you two together on the show debating it. But we would, yeah. And Sarah, see, I told you. I didn't, I, I, I didn't want you getting into this, but I told you that Gregory was a jag-off. Uh, well. Yeah, I think she remembers me pretty well, David. Yeah, <laughs> People can yeah. change, but like Gregory changed for ja- the worst. People so. can change, but Jagoffs never change. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, that needs to be like a bumper sticker. Jagoffs off forever is the bumper sticker. That's amazing. <laughs> Here's what I think. I, with the disclaimer that there is a place for everything, most things, I understand why he is popular. However... I do not like that style of comedy and it's per- it's just a personal thing and I find that it's very empty. It's it's sort of like um it feels like frat boy comedy in a way where it's very everything is sort of on the surface. There's nothing about it that goes it's it's like a series of jokes and one-liners and the thing is is that's all fine and good but you need to balance that, I think, on a show like that when you're doing your interviews. I would hope that when you're interviewing someone, you might actually get something interesting out of people or something that might give you a little insight to to their craft or who they are. Not in a James Lipton kind of way. Yeah, yeah. But just something a little more grounded. And everything for me is just too hyper and too elevated. And it, there's no substance. There's no substance there whatsoever. It's also, I think, very attention-seeking to me. That's the other thing. It feels very selfish. It feels like a very selfish style of comedy. And I, I just don't personally like that. That's just not for me. You know, I also get that for some people, I do understand that some people don't care and they just want to be entertained. Yeah. And I think that's what that's, it is. I mean, it's the end of the night and people just want right. some, some shits and giggles before they pass out. I just think that we, what we saw, I will say that I feel like my point was sort of driven home with the whole Trump thing when he had Trump on. He had Donald Trump on and, and humanized him in a way that made him see, seem like a little buddy and so harmless and like everyone's favorite pal. And that to me is dangerous because that's really misleading to and, and disingenuous, I think. Wow. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Okay. 
not not a fan. So you think it lacks a certain it lacks a certain nuance. You think about the really 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 good talk show hosts like his predecessor Johnny Carson. Right. You look at Johnny Carson, David Letterman, like I, I mean there's actually a list of people I can think of and unfortunately they are all men currently. But they are grounded. And so when they want to actually ask, they, they have a very smart way of getting answers without bringing everyone down, right? And without like making it depressing, because it is supposed to be sort of lighter. But you can also get real information out of people and not make it just a dog and pony show and like a parade of dancing monkeys. Do you think... kind of how I see it. I, I, I totally get the Johnny Carson thing. Do you think that Jay Leno did The Tonight Show better or... Because I, I feel like Johnny Carson did it the best, and yeah. I think that I think Jimmy Fallon is is doing a much better job than what Jay Leno did. I think Jay Leno was almost like, in a way, he because I don't think he was particularly good either. But it's almost like he was setting up this perfect. He was almost like the middle ground in a way between like a Carson and then a Fallon. You kind of saw this sort of. And unfortunately, there's I, I, you know, there's a little bit of a dumbing down of your audience too. Well, in the, in the people's defense, we have been getting dumber. I mean, clearly. Everybody's looking at my tight pants. I got my tight pants. I got my tight pants on. Because of David, mostly, this whole podcast is very male-centric. Mm. And that's just, that's just the way he sort of has this going. Men only. Yeah. Just for men. Well, actually, no, we have a lot of female guests. But he, but he's just he's just got a very he's very musky he's got a very musky muskiness about him. Yes. But I would love to hear more about some of the feminist sort of stuff that you're involved in and the feminist writing, just that whole sort of side that that doesn't get recognized very much in in Hollywood. Well, it is, um, yeah, it's a huge problem here. It really is. I mean, it's huge anywhere, but. I mean, do you feel like it's at least a little better nowadays or, or just... It it's, is, it's not that it's better in this... It, it's still a huge problem. What is really good is that there are conversations going on about it and there are some places and people actively trying to change things, which is great. But we are a long, long, long way from being anything close to equal. And I don't know that people quite understand, like what it means and and for me what that means is like I look forward to the day that I can walk in a room a writer's room or a studio where there's executives and and uh, producers and writers and not literally be the only woman I'm used to that that's the way it is so it's sort of like I'm used to it and and I can hold my own within that room but it does bring up a whole other set of issues and problems within rooms it also isn't right to have <laughs> you know, like eight, ten men and one woman. Yeah. That doesn't work. That That's not giving a voice to your characters that is going to, especially when they're all straight white men. That's the other problem, too. The more female showrunners that are coming, which has been happening the last couple of years, 
the more equality we're seeing in rooms, which is great. And, and I mean equality. I don't mean like, it doesn't mean a shift. It doesn't mean like now it's all women. It just means no, like now we have a equal representation for men and women in these rooms. There is, um, unfortunately, that is a huge problem. The issue that there are so few roles for women, like especially funny roles or lead roles or nuanced roles, like they just don't exist. Like it's crazy. There's so few of them. And when they do exist, they are such stereotypes. That's the other thing too. And that's what I really push against. I really, really try to write about women who do things that aren't typical. They're, they're, not, they're not just a girlfriend or a mother or a, or a, or a nurse. <laughs> you know, it's like they're scientists right. or they're, they're gamers or they're... I do a lot of stuff in science partly because of my husband, because of Scott, because um, I find that really fascinating, the women who work in science. Right. We need more of that because if we don't have if we don't have that representation on screen, then there's no reason for girls or boys to think that that's possible. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's so important too because one of the things that I I have tried to sort of do my own research into is you see a drop off, and it happens both in the entertainment industry and it happens in in science, and I'm sure it happens other places, where you get a lot of young women who start out like wanting to do this thing. They want to be a writer or a you know a director, or they want to be um, an engineer or whatever kind of hard science thing, and then suddenly they disappear, and you end up you go, well, where did they go? <laughs> like, why didn't they finish? Like, where have they all gone? And I think that that is something to really um, examine and try to look at. And I've, I've started finding out some things, but a lot of that, again, is due to lack of representation and knowing that it's possible. Mm -hmm. My, from what, the things I have sort of looked and found out myself is it's more about the support system. It's more about what happens in the school. And it's also just about gender bias that is, for the most part unconscious you know so like i'll just give you an example like when you're in a group like if let's say it's a science thing and you're in a group of like budding scientists and they all are supposed to be working on a project together what will inevitably happen every time is the girl will be given the role of secretary and be told oh you take notes and that's not a conscious thing it's just that's what happens and those are the things that i think need to change and and that's why i think that's such a a small example where if, but if, if you've got a culture where it's normal for girls to be doing those things, it's normal for girls to see on TV and movies that this is what they can do, then they're not, then they're either going to say, no, I want to, I want the hammer. Right. Or they'll be like, well, let's, we're going to switch. Yeah. And, and, but in yeah. all honesty though, it makes such a difference. And when you have the father figures who encourage it too, that makes a huge difference. You know, to have dads who Amen. Yeah. think there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Well, and that's the funny thing is my dad was an interesting character. He was definitely far from anything that you consider uh, someone that was into feminism or probably against it whenever it started. But when it came to his own kids, that's when the buck stops. Like, my kids, my girls can do anything. It's a... It's a tricky, it's a tricky, really sticky situation yeah. and how to sort of navigate through it. So yeah. I think that for me, I do it through my writing. That's where it comes out. Hey, Gregory. Yeah. Tonight's episode, 
absolutely fabulous. Why? Uh, it's Sarah Mc Sarah McChesney was here. <laughs> that is correct. She was a wonderful guest. Last minute, but we we no actually we had her on the books for a long time. Yeah, Sarah Sarah doesn't well. know that we've we've actually had her on the books since the end of season one. Yes, actually, yeah. And we're so excited for you, Sarah, just because of uh, your success, and uh, I love the word tenacity, and uh, what you're doing, and uh, the work that you are doing, and Thank please you. continue to do, and we'd love to have you back when you're actually uh, producing your own film, and running the show, and, and calling the shots, even earlier than that. We, well, it's yeah. probably going to be next year, so yeah, we'll have you back. Yeah, hopefully it'll week. be fast. Yeah, yeah make it fast. <laughs> it'll happen quickly. Sarah, we don't have forever. We don't have forever. <laughs> Me either. I don't live the healthiest of lifestyles. I'm not sure how long I'm going to last here, so you gotta, you got to do something. I will use that. Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, thank you for having me. All right. And uh, Gregory, as always. Yeah, we'll see you at the buffet. Good night. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the right side of life. Always look on the right side An improv actor. <laughs> <laughs> and this is awesome, Sarah. This all gets edited. <laughs> These shows are just clusterfuck, and then, and then they turn it to, to like a cream puff. So don't worry. It's perfection. And everyone has robot voices. Yes, thank you. This is the yeah, universe. Stephen Hawking. <laughs>